0: Here come the Celtics. Clock will start when it's touched. Alvesic touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the and He's got it in a second. John Alvesic won it. It's
1: fierce, Is this the dagger? into Bird, and is there, Bird comes free, Bird You
0: are
2: watching what
0: greatness is all about. Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of Celtics Beat. Ty Ray with you on this Saturday along with Dr. Andre Snellings, Moto Wire Senior Basketball Columnist. It's been slow going for the Celtics, no doubt about it. We've got, what, 10 games to go now? It seems like ten 1, hundred at this point. <laughs> but there is light at the end of the tunnel, Andre, finally.
1: Yes, it's, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, you know, everyone all season has been worried that the light at the end of the tunnel might be a train. But um, but I, I think it's actually positives. We I can see some positives on the horizon.
0: Yeah, I can too. And I, I like how hard... And this sounds almost cliche, but I like how hard that Brad Stevens has kept this team focused. Considering everything that's happened, they play hard. It seems like every night, well, give or few, uh, give give or take a few games, but they seem to bring it on the floor, and they just don't have the talent to compete.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been so impressed with Stevens this year. You know, I, I don't watch a lot of college ball, so I wasn't familiar with him before the the season began, but. To be able to get a young, rebuilding team to stay focused, play hard, and just keep their nose to the grindstone over the entire NBA marathon, that's almost Coach of the Year worthy right there.
0: I think so, too, and you feel feel sorry for him to a certain degree because imagine what it was like for him. To Coach at Butler now granted they had inferior talent at Butler, but he always found success there Mm -hmm. and this team always seems to be in games, but they're just not good enough to win. So it's a completely different experience for Brad Stevens this year on the bench.
1: Oh, yeah, he his challenges. He has had to learn how to lose while at the same time not allowing losing to be acceptable to his young players. I mean, and, and that's a hard line to to tread, but I remember I saw Danny Ainge um, talk, speak at the, the MIT Sloan conference a couple weeks ago, and he said flat out that, you know, each loss is almost like Brad Stevens losing a limb. You know, he, he's just not used to that, but he's had to be able to find the positives and, and, and keep everybody on the same page, and I think he's done that so far.
0: And before we keep going, Andre, I want to, Shout out to our guests coming up. We've got Brian Robb, editor-in-chief of ESPN's true blog, Celtics Hub, coming up on the show. That's later in the show, but first we'll be talking to Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, who works with Kyle Draper at Comcast Sportsnet during the halftime of Celtics games from time to time. So it'll be great to get his take on what he thinks of the job that Coach Stevens has done this year. What I've been most impressed with with brad stevens andre is how well he's been able to work with rajan rondo that isn't
1: easy Ask Doc Rivers. <laughs> yeah that that is you know that that had to be in his job description coming in you know how well can you deal with our mercurial and headstrong genius point guard um and, and i think it is our point guard i don't think john rondo is going anywhere so being able to develop a relationship that can be mutually beneficial moving forward. I think that was one of the hallmarks of a Stevens rookie season.
0: What do you think of Rondo's play so far? I think clearly it's gotten better since he came back from injury in January. I think he looks really good. And and I think he leads the league in assists since the all-star break. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he's dishing the ball to Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen.
1: Yeah, no, that that's entirely true. I think, more than anything else, I've been impressed with kind of the mindset and the will that Rondo is playing with on the floor because, you know, we're familiar with this game. You know, we know how it works. And I know a lot of people feel that that maybe the, the Hall of Famers made Rondo to some extent. I've never necessarily felt that way. I think that his impact is what it is. And, you know, and it, it will be that regardless of the pieces around him. But what I've enjoyed seeing is, you know, the hard nose, the, you know, the other night he takes a shot in the face, comes back with nine stitches. And, and it's like, but, but I'm playing tonight. You know, it's a meaningless game as far as the season goes. But he's like, I'm getting back on the court and playing. And I think that's the kind of grit and backbone that he brings to the table. Yeah. He's got some, uh, issues as far as getting along with people, but, um, I I think that grit is, is, is part of what helps make him a Celtics leader. And
0: have we really seen that this year though, him not getting along with anybody? I don't think we've really seen that. I know we had the incident, what in Sacramento, where he stayed behind in Los Angeles. And that was a mini, mini skirmish for a while with the team. But it was blown out of proportion i thought
1: yeah no i agree with that i mean it was a birthday party you know it's it's as far as rondo's you know we never really see live action i don't think when when he's really having friction with people we hear about it after the fact we hear the stories and so um i don't know whether it's proof of anything that we haven't seen it visibly this year but i'm hoping we haven't seen it because it hasn't been there because really there's no one for him to have friction with if he and brad stevens are getting along everyone on the team i think knows that this is rondo's team and so all he has to do is lead he doesn't have to worry about fighting and trying to 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 steer the ship in a different direction anymore
0: do you think stevens might be the ideal coach for rondo He's so mild-mannered.
1: Yeah, he's mild-mannered, but he's also very intelligent. And I think Rondo needs both of those things. You know, Rondo, I mean, we hear all the time the stories from Doc about how he's a borderline genius, you know, and and that he requires – a level of intelligence and genius from those around him in order to be able to interact. And so I think Stevens is able to meet that need while at the same time, not being so headstrong or, or prideful at this point in his career that he feels like he has to put Rondo in his place. I think maybe they, they might be able to, 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 to form. I mean, you know, Stevens has to be the boss. He's the coach, but I think they can form more of a partnership as opposed to a, a my way or the highway. And so, yeah, I do think that's a good thing.
0: It was really interesting the other day. I had a conversation with someone about Coach Stevens, and they felt that he wasn't a good coach because he doesn't seem engaged or yells. I thought, wow, since when is yelling make you a good coach?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, everyone has their own coaching. I mean, you know, and – In the NBA, you know, I guess in college too, but there are yellers, there are cerebrals, you know, you never saw Phil Jackson hardly yell at anybody ever over the entire 11 championships or whatever it is that he has at this point. So um, I don't think yelling is a prerequisite. I think in a lot of ways, the coach his, his main responsibility is having the team prepared and having the team focused and and ready to go. Um, the X's and O's and in-game adjustments are also important, but none of those require, you know, getting a red face and screaming, um, in in order to be effective.
0: Actually, I find his coaching style very refreshing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the norm. And I think one of the the hallmarks of a successful franchise, and, and that's what the Celtics are trying to rebuild now, rebuild this generation into a successful franchise. One of the hallmarks is not having to conform and, and do things the way that everyone else does. Um, at that same Sloan Analytics conference, I saw um, a Kraft talking about how they were able to get ahead of the curve against the rest of the NFL with Bill Belichick and his coaching style, and how it was different from what anyone else was doing and because of that it let them really build something positive they 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 gained momentum through the years and I mean I could really see that with Stevens that's not just like rah-rah I really could imagine building a successful franchise around this young man and so that that's important
0: and that's a great question for Chris Mannix let's get Chris on the line Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated
2: hey what's going on
0: Hey, thanks for joining us. We were just having an interesting discussion about Brad Stevens' coaching demeanor. Chris, I had a conversation the other day with someone who thought that Coach Stevens couldn't coach because he doesn't yell. I couldn't believe what I was hearing.
2: Uh, that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I think that Eric Spoelstra's has proven that the calm demeanor on the sidelines is, a, is an asset
3: uh, to a head coach.
0: Well, we were even talking about Phil Jackson earlier, that you very rarely saw him blow up on the bench.
3: Right. I don't
0: think, yeah, you, just, I don't
2: think you see Frank Vogel do it. I don't think you see um, – I mean, Look, college coaches is where ranting and raving works. Or I guess I don't even know if it works there, but that's where it's tolerated in the pro level. It, I mean, the, the the ranchers and ravers are few and far between. I mean, Doc was kind of a – he was kind of a loud mouth, but um, you don't see a lot of that anymore.
0: Do you think maybe that some people feel that Coach Stevens isn't engaged because he doesn't have the fiery Doc Rivers personality and it's an unfair comparison?
2: I think it's an unfair comparison, um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, you know, each each person has his own personality, and, and Brad Stevens' stuff has worked. Doc's stuff worked over the years, and Brad's been highly successful as a college coach, and, you know, and I would consider him successful this year as a pro coach. I mean, the way these guys play hard – they're competitive every single night, and that's a tribute to him as much as anybody.
0: Yeah, Chris, Andre and I were just talking about that. That is the one thing that has impressed us this season is the fact that his teams, while not as talented as others, give it every single night on the floor. Now, there have been a few exceptions, but there are a few exceptions for every NBA team where they don't bring it every night. But on most nights, you can count on the Celtics to give all.
2: No, that's impressed me. I've said that on the broadcast, the CSN broadcast many times, that when you're in deep march and your team's being gutted by the front office and you're still competitive every single game against teams that are much more to play. And I think that's a testament to the head coach. I make the analogy of, what was it, uh, Jock Vaughn last year. I mean, a lot of people around the league thought that Jock Vaughn was a good coach despite Orlando's struggles because Orlando played hard deep into march. And that's uh, the biggest testament to to a young coach on a bad team, if their teams are playing hard, uh, you give
3: them a lot of credit.
0: Chris, Danny Ainge said that the draft this year has been blown way out of proportion. What are your feelings on that?
2: You know, I, I, I get where Danny's coming from, and Danny and David, Jerry West you know, both had similar comments uh, about the draft, and I understand that. Um, I, I, don't, I disagree to some degree, though. You know, just because there isn't a LeBron James in this year's draft uh, doesn't mean there aren't you know plenty of stars in the making in this draft. I mean, yeah, I think that Andrew Wiggins, you know, in the next three years is going to become a Paul George, uh, Tracy McGrady type of player. Uh, Parker certainly has the potential to be a great offensive player. Um, you know, Carmelo Anthony like on the offensive end of the floor, and you know, guys like Dante and Julius Randle. I, I see all stars. Uh, in, in these guys just because of, you know, what they're, they're they've shown they're capable of doing on the college level. And to the people that say that you know, there's no Kobe Bryant in this year's draft or whatever, Kobe Bryant stunk his first year in the league. Kobe Bryant was the 13th overall pick in his draft. Uh, I, I just don't think that, you know, that anyone's able to accurately assess the future of the draft based on, uh, you know, one year or, or less. Uh, I, so I disagree with, with Danny there. I, I think that there's a – the, this draft's got a, a very bright future, and when you look at the top five or six picks, uh, I, I think these guys are close to sure things.
1: Well, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that because, um, you know, especially the ones at the top didn't cover themselves in glory in that first weekend of, uh, of the NCAA. And so I was curious to to hear whether you that changed at all, your opinion of, of what you thought they might be. Um, but it sounds like you feel like they're locked in to uh to 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 what they're going to be regardless of how they've uh, performed so far.
2: Yeah, the, the tournament, and I wrote about this in a magazine this week. That the tournament, when it comes to improving a draft stock, um, or, or not really improving but hurting a draft stock, it's totally irrelevant. You know, guys aren't going to sit back and say, "Oh my God, you know, Jabari Parker can't defend because he got subbed out of the game against Mercer." Well. They knew he couldn't defend coming into that game. This not—that's not breaking news, you know, for Jabari Parker to struggle defensively and Andrew Wiggins, you know, floating in and out of a game at times. Well, he was doing that for for parts of the year. Uh, man, none of this is none of this is relevant. I, I, I talked to probably six executives, GMs, and assistant GMs uh, about this very same topic, and none of them thought that any of the players, the top players, did any damage to their uh, the draft prospects because of how they played. Uh, In the tournament. The flip side of that coin is, and this could impact the Celtics' second overall uh, first-round pick, is that you can improve your stock with three or four strong games in the tournament. We've seen it happen numerous times before. I mean, uh, Steph Curry back in '08, that run he had for Davidson his sophomore year. I think that showed a lot of people that he was capable of playing uh, at the highest level of college basketball in the biggest stage. With Derrick Williams, uh, 2011. I mean, he was a guy that. you know he was going to be a lottery pick anyway, but because he played for Arizona, uh, he jumped all the way up to the number two overall pick in the draft. There's, there's examples of guys like that going in the draft right now. I mean Nick Stauskas from from Michigan uh, shot 47 percent for his first two in uh, his uh, first two games. He's someone that, that I think is uh, improving his stock. Shabazz Napier. I mean he's there's a whole cluster of, of backup point guard types in that 25 to 50 range uh, right now that that are available. I think Shabazz Napier has done a good job for himself the first two games of the tournament to improve his stock a little bit uh, as well. But, I mean, think about the guys that stunk up the joint in the tournament. Uh, from the, uh, you know, James Harden, I mean, he was terrible in his last game for Arizona State. He went number three overall. So I don't think that uh, a bad tournament run can hurt you, but I think a great tournament run can enhance your stock marginally going into the draft.
1: Okay, interesting. That was a good point on James Harden, too, because I watched him that summer after he got drafted in the Las Vegas Summer League, and I watched him live, and I, I came back and wrote, ah, this guy, he's he's just not athletic enough to really, you know, do his damage in the pros. So, yeah, you definitely have to be um, careful about uh, these impressions you get. But um, – Let's pivot a little bit uh, back to the Celtics. Let's go to our Celtics Beat fan question of the day, which comes from Nicola. To get your question asked on future shows, log on to Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat and pitch your question. So the question is, recently we've had guys such as Sean Devaney and Jay King on the show who seem to have contradicted the general consensus among the national media that Ray John Rondo will likely not be a Celtic by the summer of 2015, whether that's his choice or the organization's. We know that you're a big fan of Rondo. What have you been hearing, and what is your personal prediction on his future?
2: Look, The, the jury, I think, is, is, is still out on Rondo's future in Boston. I, I don't think anyone right now can accurately forecast what's going to happen to him in the summer of 2015 because there are so many variables that are unknown right now uh, that are going to happen before that time. I mean, number one, where does Boston wind up picking in the draft? What type of player— do they get if they get an Andrew Wiggins type or a Parker type or somebody that emerges as a difference maker, a cornerstone player that Rondo develops great chemistry with early on in the season, and that's obviously a positive for the Celtics keeping Rondo. If they wind up drafting Marcus Smart with that first overall pick, obviously that would uh, you know look badly for Rondo's future uh, in Boston. What do they do with with this glut of draft picks they have going forward. I mean, the last time Boston had this many assets, they packaged them all together and, and flipped it for Kevin Garnett and, and for Ray Allen uh, before the deadlines, or not before the deadlines, but in the offseason back in 2007. So I mean, these are all things that, that we don't know right now, and we have no way of figuring out uh, until it, the situation plays itself out uh, over the next couple of months. If, if it remains the status quo, if Boston doesn't get the type of pick they're looking for and nothing really changed between now and next year, I've got a healthy amount of skepticism that Boston is going to be willing to commit uh, max dollars uh, to Rajon Rondo uh, going forward. But if this, the, the dynamic has changed and they look like a team that you know, is, is headed towards a playoff berth or, or, or even better uh, going forward, I can certainly see Rondo sticking around. The one thing I think that that is a, a constant here is that someone's going to give Rondo that max or close to max contract this offseason. There's just too many teams. That are going to have cap flexibility in the summer of 2015. That believe Rondo is a max type player, and and they say it only takes one. And I think that one is most certainly the New York Knicks. I mean, I have very little doubt that if they have cap flexibility, they're going to be willing to give Rondo that that uh, that big dollar money to play alongside Carmelo Anthony <laughs> in the future. So there's lots of lots of variables. And I think the one thing that that will uh, remain constant is that Ron, the Celtics will have to pony up, uh, you know, close to max cash to keep Rondo in Boston.
0: What about the futures of Chris Humphreys, who has been a very nice player, very nice surprise this year, consistently giving effort every night, it seems like, for the Celtics and Avery Bradley, who just can't stay healthy. Do you see them in a Boston uniform next year?
2: You know, I I don't necessarily see Humphreys in a Celtics uniform. Uh, You know, Humphreys is going to be looking for that one last big contract, and I I just don't see how Boston he's all that interested in giving it to him. I mean, maybe if Humphreys is okay with being a backup, maybe he really likes Boston, maybe if he takes a significant discount, uh, he'll come back. And we've heard Brad Stevens say numerous times that, that Humphreys you know, really helps this team, and there's no question about that. I mean, love him or hate him, you know, and a lot of people do both. I mean, the guy is a legitimate double-double threat uh, every single night. But the future of this team at that power forward position, it's Jared Selinger, it's Kelly Olenek, it's ex-draft pick, uh, in the future. So, you know, Humphreys might look for that bigger offer elsewhere for maybe a contending team that's, you know, one piece away, one backup forward away, one extra rebounder away uh, from uh, being really considered a championship team. Avery Bradley's a, a different situation. Um, I, I think Bradley's going to get paid this offseason. I think someone's going to step to the plate and give him an offer that's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 7 to $9 million per year uh, over a four year deal. Uh, you know, if, if Boston believes that that he's worth that. And I think at this point, you know, what he's done, especially offensively, developing that mid-range jump shot, that three-point shot, really blossoming into the kind of offensive player we've seen him be as a defensive player uh, over the last couple of years. You know, I think he's well worth the investment long-term. He's still a guy in his early 20s who I think can become, you know, maybe not a starter on a playoff slash championship team, but absolutely that first guard off the bench. who can do so many things uh, for a very good team. So, Uh, You know, long story short, if I had to guess, I'd say Humphreys, no. And Bradley, because of his age and his ability, uh, yes.
1: Shifting gears just a little bit, um, Wick Grosbeck has recently stated that he feels there will be fireworks this summer. And so I I was listening to your kind of evaluation of the draft and what you think about Rondo and and some of these young players. So what do you think the possibility is that Boston – decides to go all-in this summer for a second or third star um, out of free agency? Uh, and if so, who? Um, is Kevin Love, whose name we've heard mentioned, is he the only option, or is there anyone else they can legitimately go after?
2: Yeah, I don't think it happens you know, via free agency this summer. I just don't think that's in Boston's plan. I think the plan for them is to use all these assets that they have, these first-round picks they've been stockpiling, you know, plus some of their young talents and flip it, uh, for that established star, I mean that's what they did you know, back in 2007, and I think that's the most prudent way and the smartest way to go about things uh, right now. I mean, Boston—it's hard for the Celtics to to get into that that free agent chase right now because they don't have a good team. Uh, they're a team that's kind of in flux with their roster, and uh, even though they've got some money to spend, you know, if you're a free agent like a Kevin Love in the summer of 2015 or others, um, you know it's not necessarily a, a destination city right now. But if you can trade for a Kevin Love who like I said, isn't a free agent until the following summer, and then convince him that that being built around Rondo and Brad Stevens and whoever they wind up with that top, uh, you know, three or four pick, uh, or whatever it is in this year's draft. I mean, that's probably the best way to go. I think Boston will be aggressive in that regard, you know, trying to bring in that second superstar that way. But as far as free agency goes, uh, it's not a hugely, you know, productive free agent cl- uh, class. I-, I don't see that. Um, yeah, I don't see any of the top guys, obviously LeBron and Bosh and Wade and Carmelo. They're not coming to Boston right now. And once you get past that tier, the other guys that might be there, the Carlos Boozers, if he's amnestied, uh, and others, I, I just don't know if they're, um, if, if they're worth making that type of investment.
0: Before we let you go, Chris, I just wanted your opinion on Kelly Olenek's development. I've been very impressed by him. Of course he needs to put on weight. He needs to get bigger. He struggles at the defensive end, especially against bigger guys, but I've been very impressed by his growth over the season.
2: Yeah, I love his talents. I mean, it, it, what was disappointing to me was that, you know, those magging injuries that he kept coming up with kept him out of the lineup consistently. So we didn't get, I don't think, a full view uh, of what Kelly Olinick can be, but the flashes we did see of him, whether it's you know, passing the ball at the top of the key, or, or showcasing that type of offensive arsenal, that we saw from him at Gonzaga. I mean, going into the draft, you know, people would tell me a lot that they thought Kelly Olinick was the most, uh, you know, developed offensive big man, uh, that was out there. And you saw, you know, really strong glimpses of that that possibility, uh, early on this season. You, you hit the nail on the head. This off season, he's got to get in the weight room, you know, spend some time with Brian Dew and those guys, and and put on, I don't know, 10 to 15 pounds of muscle going into next season. So if he is playing alongside Jared Selinger, he can match up with some of the bigger men uh, that are in the NBA today. And if he does that, you know, we throw around names like Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Love and others. But I do think that uh, that Kelly Olynyk can, can be a 15-point-per-game score at this level. He just has those gifts, those offensive talents that, that you really can't uh, – you know, tools that you really can't teach, for, for lack of a better cliche, uh, with, that, um, with that assessment. Um, I, if he puts on that muscle – and puts in the work in this offseason. I think you could see a a rapidly developing Kelly Kelly Olenek next year.
1: Yeah, see, that's really interesting. Um, I saw um, on a message board today, actually, uh, the question arisen that I would like to ask you. Um, You mentioned Olenek playing next to Sullinger. Can that work long term? You know, um, Danny Ainge has already said the Celtics have trouble um, defending the paint. Can you have a, a starting front line on a playoff-caliber team with Jared Sullinger and Kelly Olynyk, even at their maximum potential as, as your starting big men?
2: I think you can because Sullinger is a rugged power forward. I mean, he can rebound for the power forward position. Olenek, you know, clearly can't right now. He's not equipped physically to bang bodies with, you know, with the Joakim Noahs and others at that level. I mean, any team with Kelly Olenek as a five – is going to struggle against a Roy Hibbert team or, uh, or a Houston Rockets-Dwight Howard team. But, you know, show me a team in the league that doesn't struggle against that type of team. I mean, you know, Miami survived with thin whitish centers uh, at that spot, Chris Anderson, Bill Anthony, the other years because they've had, had uh, Boston, which other spots with guys like Rondo and, and let's just hypothetically say Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker at that swing spot. You know, I think that if Linux bulks up and shows he can be a, an average rebounder. Uh, I think they can survive with that because he does bring so much to the table on the offensive end of the floor. It's not an ideal situation, you know, no question. But you know, if Kelly Olinick can show enough offensive versatility, and again, if he puts on that muscle so that he's not getting bullied in the paint uh, on every single possession, uh, you know, I don't see a reason to believe that why at least in spurts, you know, Olinick, uh, Sollinger, front frontcourt can't work.
0: Yeah, I really like Kelly's game, especially if he can. If he can develop that outside shot that he had at Gonzaga, and I'm on the West Coast here, Chris, so I got to see Kelly play a lot. I'm in Washington State, and I know he can shoot better from the outside than he's shown, and if that develops, look out.
2: Yeah, no, and again, I think his progress was stunted by all these nagging injuries uh, he dealt with during the season. I don't think he got a full, a full glimpse of what, what Kelly Olenek can do uh, on a regular basis. Gonzaga, he was fantastic. He, the jump shot was there. The offensive skill set was there. I mean, he was kind of a, a Julius Randall type, to be honest with you, with, with his ability to score in such a variety of ways. That's the praise we heap on Randall right now, with his offensive versatility, his ability to, to like be almost Zach Randolph-like with his scoring. If Olynyk can just muscle up and not get bullied on a consistent basis, that, and that's not a, a rip of Kelly O'Linick. I mean, every rookie that comes into the league needs to muscle up after year one, uh, in year two. If he can do that. Uh, like so many other rookies, can I mean this kid has the, the talent to be a real force in this league for a long time,
0: and he has an amazing IQ too. That's yeah. what impresses me the most. Coming from a basketball family, just shows a lot of smarts out there on the court. So I'm looking forward to his future in Green. I really am.
2: Yeah, no, I, I am too. I, I think that you know, I, and again, you know, a guy like Olynyk, we all we have to you know, open the door for the possibility that Olynyk and Jared Sellinger and all these young players they're developing, you know, they've got to, they could be assets Danny, Danny Ainge could flip down the line. I mean, Danny developed Al Jefferson and others, you know, for the the possibility of getting a Kevin Garnett uh, back in 2007, you know, trapped you know, at Jeff Green, you know, back in 2007, if they could acquire Ray Allen, there could be, the end game for all this could be we, we cultivate and develop Kelly Olynyk over the next year or two, just so we can trade him uh, down the line. Um, so, but, but even if they do do that, and you can get a Kevin Love or somebody like LaMarcus Aldridge, somebody along those lines that, that is, uh, you know, that next corny, uh, cornerstone player. Uh, I, I think it's well worth it.
0: Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, Comcast, Sportsnet. Thanks for joining us on Celtics Beat. And where can we find your work before I let you go?
2: Well, you can catch it on SI.com. I'll have a, uh, a draft board, my last draft, big board, uh, before I start doing mock drafts up on Friday morning. So you can check that out uh, coming up quickly.
0: And on Twitter at Chris Mannix, SI, right? You got it. Okay, very good. Thanks, Chris. Anytime, guys. That's Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated talking about all sorts of different topics in regards to the Celtics. And, Andre, I'm biased. I'm a Northwest guy. (laughs) So I love talking about Kelly Olenek. And if you watch him the last 10, 15 games, he's really developing before our eyes.
1: He really is. And, you know, it's funny. We mentioned that, um, you know, I come from Rotowire. So I look at things a lot of times from a fantasy uh, basketball perspective. And so, you know, just looking at his numbers he has the type of of game that really could expand exponentially really fast i mean when once you start putting those types of scoring numbers on the board and as you mentioned his his outside shot hasn't even gotten to where it could get um his offensive potential is very very nice
0: i just like how smart this kid is I think he's like a sponge, man. He can absorb so much, and I'm glad you're on board with me on this because I took a lot of heat. I was so excited draft night when the Celtics got Kelly Olenek and everybody was going, who? <laughs> like, Kelly Olenek played for Gonzaga. They were ranked number one at one time well, in the season that he played uh, the year before last. So I, I just couldn't figure out why everybody thought he was such a stranger, and then they couldn't get his name right. They couldn't pronounce the school <laughs> right. But being up here in the Pacific Northwest, it's like we're in a different country.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you know, you mentioned your location. So um, my my location actually biases me to the other uh, young big man we were just talking about. You know, I'm born and raised in Ohio, um, and I'm, I still live in the Midwest. So I saw a lot of Jared Sullinger um, at Ohio State, and while he was there, before like well before the draft, I was like, "Ooh, I wish this guy could get to the Celtics." But I didn't think that he would because the, they were drafting too high. So I was really happy when he fell to them. So, you know, I, I think they're they're both um, kind of exciting young guys that that have shown some development this year that that maybe gives a little bit of promise for the future.
0: I love Sully. He looks like he was born to be in green, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He looks like a Celtic when he's on the floor. I like his attitude. I look, like how lunch pale he goes about his business.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's all hard work. And, and that's honestly, at the time he was in college, the Celtics still had Kevin Garnett. And I was, you know, I just felt like he was born, like you said, to be in Celtics green and he was born to play next to Kevin Garnett. So I was glad that they had that year together to really kind of you know maybe rub off a little bit and 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 let him kind of carry that fiery big man Celtic uh tradition on to to the next uh, generation of Celtic.
0: It was interesting to hear Chris talk about this year's NBA draft. Danny says it's overhyped. He disagrees. What are your thoughts on that? Before we get to our next next guest Brian Robb.
1: Yeah, I I actually wrote uh, a, a article today about that. Um my Hoops Lab the find on Rotowire. I I wrote about how kind of underwhelming this year's draft class has been um even throughout the season but especially in the tournament based on the hype. This was supposed to be the 2003 1996, you know, historic draft and I just haven't seen that from these players. I see nice players. You know, I see players that, you know, as as Chris said, they can be all-stars. But I don't see, like he he said that Wiggins could be Tracy McGrady. I haven't seen Tracy McGrady. Tracy McGrady was arguably better than Kobe when they were at their peak. So I'll just say that this class has a ways to go to live up to the hype that they've had to date. And um, I'm willing to wait and see.
0: Nothing against ESPN, but part of me was wondering if they blew it out of proportion just for ratings. I know those kids are great players, mm-hmm. but really on the level of a LeBron James, a Carmelo
1: Anthony, yeah. I'm not so sure. Yeah, that that's a legitimate concern. I mean – um, because the ratings have to be there, the, you know they can't have a downtime. And, and last year's draft was kind of universally panned as not being that good, so it, it certainly helped them to dangle that carrot on the horizon, like, hey, but the next class is woo, you won't believe it. So. I don't know you know the line between hype and reality is um you know it it shifts a lot so it
0: it does now what about Joel Embiid what do you think
1: I think he's probably the player that interests me the most as a Celtic fan right now because he kind of has what the Celtics are missing you know I alluded to earlier Danny mentioned that the Celtics biggest weakness this year has been interior defense interior big man and Embiid he he has the potential to be a very impact defensive big man in the NBA, and there aren't a lot of true centers like that coming along. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's the one that, that I, I kind of have my eye on the most.
0: Scares the hell out of me. I got to be honest. If the Celtics drafted him, I just... I don't want to see a Greg Oden situation. And maybe that's unfair on my part, but when I hear of big guys with injuries in college, it scares the hell out of me, man.
1: No, that that's a legitimate concern. I mentioned that in the article today, too. You know, anytime you start hearing about a, a young big man with a stress fracture in his back, that I mean, that's scary. But, you know, we, we've seen with Sullinger that the, the back injury doesn't have to be a death nail for the for the young bigs. So, you know, I guess I guess we'll see.
0: Let's go out to uh, Brian Rob now editor in chief of ESPN's true hoop blog Celtics Hub. Let's get him on the line and get his feelings on the upcoming NBA draft and the Celtics in general. Hey, Brian, we were just having this conversation about the NBA draft, whether or not it's overrated or not. What are your feelings on the subject?
3: I think it's been overrated to a uh, degree. I think that as we have seen with some of the uh, underwhelming performances in the NCAA tournament and just the up and down nature of the season for guys like Andre Wiggins, that um, you know the hype that was made out to be isn't fully in place. But I do still think, as far as the depth goes, there's going to be you know a number of quality players in there. So while they might not be. Franchise-changing superstars. There will be um, plenty of help to be had for any team drafting in the lottery this year.
1: So we just spoke to Chris Mannix of uh, Sports Illustrated, and while we while we had him on the line, we asked him about Rajon Rondo, and he said that he's somewhat skeptical that Rondo will remain a Celtic in 2015 because he thinks somebody's going to open up the checkbooks and give him a max deal that maybe the Celtics wouldn't match. What do you feel is Rondo's future in green?
3: Yeah, I, I definitely think uh that has to be a major worry for the Celtics since um I don't believe that he's shown the, the, the Celtics front office that he's worthy of a max contract yet. And for a team around the league that um that needs a point guard, that needs a franchise player, that needs someone they can market to their fans, some team will be willing to, you know, back up Springstruck and, and unload a, a big money offer at Ronald. So the the important part for the Celtics now is to hope, perhaps with some rebuilding this summer, to get in to make some deals, to get in a player or two around Rondo, to kind of show him that the the team is on, you know, on its way back to building a championship squad, and hope that due to that, that he might take a little bit less money to stay here, and he might get on the up market because if he strictly goes to the highest bidder, that's out there. I don't think that the subjects will be that team because they're not going to offer a max deal, in my opinion. And,
0: and I don't think they should. Should they at this point? Has he proven to be a max player, really? No. If we're real honest with ourselves?
3: No, I think you're right. I think it's it's a situation where we haven't seen that kind of play out of him you know, at any point in his career. He's had stretches uh, where he's looked like the best player in a series um, the best player on the team for a month or two but we haven't seen a a front-to-back effort from Rondo where he's shown that he can you know be this great impactful player on both ends of the floor night in and night out um, for a winning basketball team not unless he's had you know the, the talent around him so I think you know it's it's tough to gauge him obviously he, so far this year when he's come back from ACL surgery it's it, the rust has taken a while to come off it's a, he's playing on a losing team right now so there's not a ton to play for but i think he knows that he has to kind of sh- he's worried about max deal and while i expect him to come close to playing up those, close to up those kind of numbers next year I don't think it's a sure thing and I think, you know, other teams around the NBA will be watching closely to see if he if he shows signs you know in the last month of the season as well as it started next year of being that guy, but he definitely he definitely hasn't shown it yet.
0: Now, Brian, having said all this, I was talking to Andre earlier in the show and I think Rondo leads the league in assists since the all star break, if I'm not mistaken, and he's not exactly kicking the ball out to all stars. So that's no. pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, that is. I mean, that's. it's a guy, you know, the, the Celtics offense, as you mentioned, is not It's not good at all, especially there's not a lot of outside shooters in this team, so for the amount of open looks, Rondo has gotten guys in this team, he could probably have you know, a few more assists um, right now in the bank if he had some better teammates right now, but we know we can do that. We know Rondo is a great distributor of the ball, but for, to be a max guy you gotta you gotta be more than that. You gotta be able to score consistently night in, night out. You gotta be able to defend. And those are two things that Rondo hasn't done enough of yet in my opinion. I, I didn't expect him to this year coming back from the injury. But on the offensive end, his shooting percentage, I would say he started off shooting well with the three ball, but that's kinda come back down to earth in the last few weeks here and you know, defensively, he's, he hasn't been stellar in the last couple of seasons, and that's continued on this team right now. So the assists are nice, but those aren't, you know, that there's more to – Rondo has to do more of that right now to, to get the kind of contract he's going to be looking for down the road.
0: No doubt Rondo puts fannies in the seats. And you were just at an event with season ticket holders where Brad Stevens and the team president spoke. What went on there?
3: Um, I actually – I was – not on that event. Um, but I did, you know, I saw a report to that event online and there was a lot of, you know, there's, there's gotta be a lot of buzz there um, just in terms of this summer and the amount of options that the Subjects have right now. Um, obviously with the draft picks, with trade exceptions and the ability to uh, move guys with, you know, non-guaranteed contracts in a trade. So, there's, there's a lot of possibilities for the team right now. And they obviously hit that means, you know, they kind of talk to the season ticklers about those possibilities to, for Iowa season to get them <laughs> excited about next year, which is, you know, a good deal, a good idea on their part, but is also true since, you know, this summer, the next few months, leading up to the draft. Um, and obviously in the free agency, there's the team has to make some moves Um on a variety of fronts to, uh, to be the fans, the fans and to move in the next stage of rebuilding. And I expect big things like, you know, Rick Grosbeck or Danny Inge or Rich, Rich Grosbeck might be on that
0: front. So you actually see fireworks this summer, like Wick Grosbeck said there may be?
3: Yeah. No, I think that for a couple of reasons, one being the Celtics have the flexibility this summer that they're not going to have in the future regarding trades. And particularly the this one that stands out to me most is uh, the trade exception team has from the, the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Jason Terry deal, and that expires uh, in mid-July. So they the sellers essentially have the capability to take on an extra, you know, nine or ten million dollars in any trade, then um, then then they have to give out. So that's that's a kind of a a chip that. You know, when, if you don't use it, it's gone forever. So in order to make use of that, they need to do it this summer. And so that's why I feel like, you know, is, is it 100% sure that they're going to use that exception? No, but they did that trade for a reason, and getting that exception was a, one of the main reasons why. So I feel like for a team that, you know, may be looking to kind of clear the books, maybe looking to dump some bad salary in addition to, you know, a younger prospect to make... It worked itself as well. That that's the kind of deal that Danny Ainge will be looking at to to try to you know kickstart the rebuilding
1: in a hurry. Interesting. So you know, Ainge has said repeatedly throughout the season that he thinks the current draft class is overhyped, and you you sounded a little less than impressed yourself um, when talking about this upcoming draft class. So uh, let me pose a question to you: Is is the high draft pick or a key trade for a star, maybe using those draft picks, the better move for the Celtics moving forward.
3: Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I don't think we won't know the answer to that until we find out again if who's exactly is the claim for the draft and what the and what the trade market looks like. Obviously, now you know the Celtics right now. I think they're in mind for in a fifth overall pick, and there's that could be. That could change again you know, with the lottery, they could get bumped up, they could get bumped down. You don't know. But I think the important thing is is that Ainge is probably gonna be very aggressive on both fronts. He's gonna he has the extra trade chips in additional draft picks for future years to so maneuver potentially if he wants to move up or perhaps, you know, package the picks along with some players potentially, you know, like Jared Sollinger. Okay, and like those guys to get a bigger name in here. So I say right now I'm not sure what the best, you know, route is, but I'm I'm sure that the front office is gonna be looking at every possibility closely to try to figure out what exactly is the smartest route to go on that front.
0: What do you think about Kelly O'Linick and Jared Sollinger moving forward? Are those guys that you can build around?
3: <laughs> I don't think you can build around them necessarily. I think you can, I think on a good, on a good team, I think they're going to be your, uh, you know, fifth, sixth, and seventh best players when they're at their peak of their careers. But I don't think they're guys that you can kind of, you know, feel good about your team going forward. If those are going to be featured prominently in your offense. Now, Soldiers made great strides this year. Um, He's obviously tried to, expand his outside game with the three-point shot. That has not uh, gone terrific so far. um, But he's – I believe he can be down the road. I think that can be – he can be a a starting power forward in this league on a good team. Um, Linux has gotten a lot better in the last couple of months as he's kind of gotten over the, the rookie jitters. The game has seemingly slowed down for him a little bit. He obviously has the size advantage as a shooter to wreak havoc on teams. But uh, defensively, I worry about, you know, how much he can hold up. I don't see him being able to hold his own with, you know, front-line big men in the league in the starters. So I think he's more uh, better suited to being a guy off the bench that you bring in for uh, a scoring spark or to help, um, you know, just space the floor. But I don't see him being, you know, a starting player in this league down the
0: road. Brian, on a personal level, how hard has it been to cover a team struggling like this?
3: It's actually, it's been interesting since, you know, I've covered the team closely since 2009. So obviously this is the first year where it's been, you know, a bit slow. and But there has been enough going around with the team to, to make it, uh, an interesting experience for by March for the majority of the year, whether it be um, you know, all the trade possibilities, whether it be Rondo, obviously Arion with Omerich um, down in Houston, and there's been enough young players that have shown potential throughout the year, along with, obviously, Rondo's return from KCL. There's, there's been a lot going on here, and the team is Making a variety of moves on the trade front in the free agency front with the addition of Brad Stevens last summer, there's been there's been a lot going on. So while on the surface uh, a 50 plus last season would seem to be you know kind of boring to write about day in and day out, I really haven't found that to be the case for the large part.
0: Brian, before we let you go, where can we find your work online?
3: Uh, you can check it out at um, CelticsHub.com as well as uh,
0: com. Anything we should be keeping an eye out for?
3: Uh, no, I'll just be, you know, I'm up there. we got daily updates at both spots. So just, um, you know, we'll be keep keeping it going to the season end and then be focusing on the draft as it comes up over the next couple months.
0: Brian Robb, editor-in-chief of ESPN's True Hoop Blog, Celtics Hub. Thanks for joining us on Celtics Beat. Thanks for having me, guys. You bet anytime. And as our audience knows, Brian does a phenomenal job covering the Celtics for Celtics Hub as well as CBS Boston. Brian works alongside our guy, Jared Weiss, whom you can follow on Twitter at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. Jared shoots live, raw, and uncut videos from the Celtics locker room before and after every Celtics game. And he also hosts CLNS Radio's post-game show, The Garden Report. Oh yeah, and it's all in high definition. Where can you find this? Log on to our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash CLNS Radio, and subscribe to have this delivered to your computer daily. So, Andre, it's really interesting getting different perspectives, first from Chris Mannix, then from Brian Robb, differing opinions on some subjects. It was interesting to hear Chris talk about how excited he is about Kelly Olenek. And, Brian, the question still remains whether or not Kelly's going to be an effective NBA player, according to Brian.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I zoomed in on that as well. Um, But even when Chris was talking about Kelly, he would always preface it with, as long as he puts on some weight, as long as he can bulk up and, and really be able to bang with the bigs in the NBA. And that seemed to be one of Brian's biggest concerns because he, he just talked about him getting pushed around a lot. So maybe, you know, if Olynyk is able to, to put that strength on, maybe he could start to show Brian a little bit of what Chris sees in him.
0: Also interesting that I thought Chris, if you listen to Chris, he feels like the Celtics will be involved in trades this offseason. where not Chris, rather, but Brian thought that the Celtics might be heavily active. But Chris, the jury's still out with him, whether or not the Celtics will make a move.
1: Yeah, and but one thing I noticed with both of them though is that neither of them seemed to be convinced that the Celtics were going to go 2007 Nova on the drafts. I mean, on the trades, I should say. Um, Brian was mentioning the trade exception. Which would have to be for a, a lower caliber player because you can't combine exceptions, so you couldn't put the trade exception with some extra money and bring in a max guy. So it seemed like the trades that he were talking about might have been a little bit smaller and maybe make sense if you're still on a building path towards you know perhaps a, a ultimate big splash in the free agency class of two thousand and fifteen.
0: okay Andre it's that time my friend it's time for the NBA in five let's get it started first out west with the Golden State Warriors Mark Jackson's job on the line maybe who knows they're plateauing they're not as good as people thought they would be this year Brian Scalabrini Celtics favorite gets demoted what are your feelings on the topic
1: I think you hit the nail on the head with they're not as good as people thought they were going to be coming into the year and more than anything, I think that's what has Mark Jackson on the hot seat. If they were in first place in the West, no matter how many Brian Scalabrini's he demoted, you wouldn't hear any trouble.
0: And apparently there's tensions maybe on the bench with other assistant coaches. It's going to be an interesting story to follow. Mark Jackson, what, in a contract year, right?
1: Yes, sir. And, I mean, and the team itself seems to have some positive feelings about Scalabrini. And are, they, they, that's why they made them, him demote instead of firing him. So who knows whether Mark will still be there next year.
0: The Knicks gave up 51 points to the Lakers in a quarter. Phil Jackson says they need more talent.
1: Duh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, I rejoice when I see the Knicks in misery and 51 points. How does that happen, Andre?
1: Yeah, it happens. You know how we've done a lot of talking about how hard the Celtics play on a nightly basis, even though the team's not good? I think the opposite of that is what happens when you give up 51 points in a quarter. Heat until somebody knocks them off. The Pacers are playing honestly better this year than I expected them to. But if the seven-game series started tomorrow and, you know, you line those two teams up to each other, I I think the Heat win more times than not.
0: Even with the Pacers getting home court advantage in that series as of right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Heat have been to the finals three seasons in a row. You know, their core is championship-tested veterans home court advantage is much more important for Indiana psyche than it is for Miami's I don't think they care where they play
0: what do you think of Paul George that's a separate topic but I've been so impressed by him
1: yeah he's I mean he's just developed so quickly into really beyond what I expected him to be um but I mean he's he's clearly the leader of that team they follow him he plays hard and I mean he's really fun to watch he's an explosive player so yeah I mean I, I I really like to see him joining the upper echelon is one of the better players in this league.
0: Staying with the Pacers, Andrew Bynum out indefinitely, soreness again with Andrew Bynum. We've seen this time and time again, play two games for the Pacers. Was it worth taking a flyer on?
1: It was worth taking a flyer on. I mean, why not? He wasn't expensive and he doesn't really hurt their bottom line, but I mean, yeah, he's some really big NBA centers, their bodies just can't take it, you know? and, and Unfortunately, it looks like Andrew Bynum might be in that that class.
0: At this point, the Sixers have lost. I've lost count, twenty some games in a row. Is this really the right way to go about business in the
1: NBA? No, it's really not. And it's interesting because they've lost all of those games in a row, and they still haven't, uh, I guess, caught you would say the Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> for the worst record in the league. so <laughs> They have to be like what do we have to do to catch these guys, you know? But um, but no, it's not the right way. I mean. I've heard veterans say it and it's really true when you introduce young players to that level of losing and that mindset it's really hard to then show them how to be successful NBA players after that
0: right you can't draft a culture I don't care how good a player they get in this year's NBA draft that culture of losing will continue and the Sixers of course haven't won an NBA title since 1983 and at one time were a very proud franchise
1: yeah and I mean I I keep referencing the Sloan conference but you know at that conference uh, Stan Van Gundy pointed out Philadelphia in particular and said you look at that lineup there's no way that team's not trying to lose. Now that was his opinion, but you figure if he sees it, the players on the team see it too. And if they're thinking, you know, the organization wants to lose, um, you know, that that's not a precedent you want to put in these young people's minds.
0: No, you don't want to create any kind of losing culture at all, and that's going to do it for our NBA in five. And as we wrap up the show. Andre, any final thoughts you have on our conversations with Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated and Brian Robb from Celtics Hub?
1: I just really thought it was great to get the multiple perspectives on these issues which are right at the, the heart of the Celtics. You know, what is Rondo's future? What are Kelly and Sully's future? Um what is this team going to do um, with with all of these opportunities they have over the next two off seasons? So I I really liked hearing them weigh in on it and and really kind of giving us a a perspective on on, um, what things might be.
0: One civic duty before I'd wrap this up, I'd like to inform our audience of a very intriguing giveaway we have going on. Patriots, NFL fans, or autograph collectors in general, Wide receiver Julian Edelman is back with the Patriots and the guys over at the Patriots Beat podcast are giving away an 8x5x11 autograph photo that comes with a certificate of authenticity to 3 lucky fans. How do you enter? Text CLNS fans to 22828. That's C L N S fans to 22828, which will sign you up for our free weekly e-blast newsletter which will help you stay up to date on all of our great online content, both written and multimedia, as well as our great podcasts such as this one and the new Patriots Beat podcast, which airs every Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern. Great co-hosting with you again, my friend. Oh, yeah, it was my pleasure. I'd like to thank our guests, Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated and Brian Robb from CBS Boston and editor-in-chief of ESPN's True Hoop Celtics blog, Celtics Hub. And for our executive producer, Larry H. Russell, and my co-host, Dr. Andre Snellings, I'm Ty Ray. See you next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern for another edition of Celtics Beat.